morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning, and I'm uh, looking forward to our message this morning. Uh, just a couple of announcements this morning as we get started. Uh, first of all, I want to remind you that our Bible classes are available online. Uh, just go to our website, lighthousediscipleship.org. Go to the Bible classes page. There's a couple of different ways to get there. And then just go ahead and uh, throw it away down, halfway down. Here you'll find the directions of how to get started. And so uh, it's free, uh, but uh, uh, we just make those available to everyone and uh, who would like to participate with that. The teaching's good. It's just good teaching. So it's just free, good teaching, being discipleship, because discipleship is all we're about here, everything we do. Also, we have our Bible study tonight, uh, by the way, to pray, here tonight at 6 o'clock. So if you're in the area, you're free, feel free to come on down, and uh, we'll just have a, have a good time together, uh, studying the Word of God and fellowship. Also, I want to make mention, uh, uh, we're getting into the holiday season here. Uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, November 30th, we're going to have a movie night uh, here uh, on the big screen, and uh, we'll be showing... Because Bible College has uh, three or four different uh, uh, theater productions they put on, musicals that they put on at uh, the college, and uh, two of those that we have on, on DVD, there's an Easter, what I call an Easter one, God with Us, that we've shown many times, but also The Heart of Christmas, and that's the one we're going to be showing this uh, coming November 30th, that's the weekend uh, of Thanksgiving, on uh, Saturday, and we're going to start showing it at 6 o'clock. Okay, and feel free to bring some snacks or some goodies if you like. If not, we'll have some. Um, but feel free to bring a friend, a friend, anyone and everyone is invited if you're in the area. And so, anyway, it's going to be a good time and a good way to just kick off the, the Christmas season, hopefully. So, all right. Well, I think that that's all the announcements I have for now. And uh, we're just going to jump right into our message this morning on... I've been establishing your father's love. I believe this is part five, and this will actually be the conclusion of this series. Uh, there's a lot more I can talk about uh, the love of God and being established in his love, but this is all I have for this series. And, uh, and so I'm going to wrap that up today. So I'm even hoping I have enough material today to finish the whole, the whole hour, but we'll see how we do. Um, okay? So anyway, go ahead and jump uh, turn with me in your Bibles to First uh, John three, which has kind of been our main text for this this series so far. And let me just get it on the screen for you. John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we'll look at it again. And then John writes, and he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. And I'm not even reading that right, because John has an explanation mark right there. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We've been, uh, our whole study on this series on being established in our Father's love has 
come from these two verses right here, uh, especially the first part of verse 1. Behold what manner the love the Father has bestowed upon us. He has done it. He's already bestowed that love on us, that we should be called the children of God. And if we're the children of God, then we should be acting like our Father. Like Father, like children. Okay? Or, uh, like Father, like Son, or like Daughter. <coughs> As the saying goes. But in verse 2, especially the last part I want to jump down, it says, When He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. When He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And we're going to be talking some more today, this morning, about what's your perception of your Father. Because whatever your per paradigm or perception of your Father is, that's what you're going to act like. That's what you're going to carry out. You know, sometimes we, we marvel at sometimes how kids are acting now. And I'm not saying it's always the parents' fault or uh, whatnot, but sometimes, many times, the children are just acting out what they see. I'm not saying that's always the case in every situation. Sometimes there's other, uh, other uh, factors involved. But sometimes they're uh, imitating what they see. I remember as a child, I used to preach to my teddy bears. And I, uh, I've talked about that before in the past, and I used to preach to my teddy bears. I used to uh, get our green hamper that we had, avocado green. It was very popular in the 70s. <laughs> and I, I got the avocado green hamper. I got I had a big, the biggest Bible I had. I put it on it at my podium. I had my flashlight, put a string to it, so it looked like a microphone. And I remember preaching to my teddy bears. I don't remember any of those messages. Those teddy bears are still need to be saved. But I remember the connotation of my messages, though, even though I didn't have anything anything theological to say. I was just mimicking what I saw imitated. And I was always preaching hellfire and brimstone type messages. <laughs> and I, I, I wish I didn't, I, I, no wonder they're not saved yet. <laughs> And, uh, but, uh, you know, but I was imitating, obviously, something I saw. And I can't remember any of my pastors who, who preached like that. But, uh, uh, but, uh, I, I, but I do remember preaching hellbound and brimstone type messages. And uh, I was preaching at them, not to them. And uh, anyway, I don't know where I'm going with that. Uh, it just, uh, we, when he is revealed, we shall be like him, but we shall see him as he is. I want to use that as a springboard. Turn with me to chapter 4, verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is Love. I want to spend a little more time on this, this context of this passage of loving one another. You can't know God and love, not love one another. It just can't happen. And I back that up with scripture. Now, I'm going to be talking about loving one another. And I know this has always been a very touchy subject because it's probably the most number one subject that we have been ridiculed on. Anytime we teach on this, anytime we discuss this, uh, we, we've been... We just have been attacked big time by the body of Christ in so many ways 
Uh, anytime we talk about loving one another, I'm not trying to make this a negative connotation, but I just know this has always been a, a touchy subject. Anyone who knows me loves me knows that I love teaching about righteousness, and I can't separate righteousness from the love of God. For this is love, not that we love Him, but that He loved us and became our propitiation. That He became He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteous God. You can't teach righteousness, you can't teach salvation, we can't teach about knowing God without loving one another. You just you can't separate the two. And we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about that this morning. Okay? Go with me in Romans chapter 13. <clears throat> Romans 13, we'll pick it up in verse 8. If you're not loving one another, in other ways, I, in other words, I believe you're not establishing your father's love. Because we love because he first loved us, and we'll we'll bring some other scriptures out of that. But Paul is speaking here in uh, Romans, Romans 13, beginning verse 8, he says, "Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder." You shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and then any other commandment are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Now I read that last verse again, and I want to uh, talk it over to the King James in doing so. Verse 10, I want to read again in the King James. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling or the fulfillment of the law. That's, that's some deep stuff for us to to process for those of us who are under grace. Well, I spent the last couple of weeks talking about the law in the sense that the law brings wrath. The law is the knowledge of sin. But according to the scriptures, according to the teachers, teachings of Paul, according to the teachings of John and others, loving one another is the fulfillment of the law. Whether we understand that or not, that's what the scripture teaches. All the law is summed up in loving the Lord our God and with all our heart, soul, and mind, and loving thy neighbor and thyself. I mean, just the laws that, that uh, the commandments that... Uh, Paul is listing here adultery, killing, uh, stealing, bearing false witness, lying, coveting. It all has to do with your neighbor. Every, almost all of the laws are summed up in loving our neighbors ourselves. But let me just say this. Love is not only of God. Love is not, God is not only love. But love, love is descriptive. We're going to go into that in just a few moments. Love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is God. Love is of God. It's hard to describe a feeling. It's hard to describe an emotion. But it's easy to describe the nature of God. It's easy to describe the character of God, the person of God. Love can be defined. Love can be described. And how, So therefore, how do we know that we are operating in love? How do we know that we're loving our neighbor as ourselves? See, love is fulfilled in one commandment. 
No matter how you look at it, how you diced it, it's fulfilled in one commandment, loving your neighbor as yourself. And Paul said, and he echoes it twice in this passage, if we love our neighbors, if we have fulfilled the law in that sense. All the commandments are to keep you from hurting your neighbor, hurting one another. But I like, I like the, the wording in, in the King James in verse 10 again. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Anything that works ill to your neighbor or harm to your neighbor is not love. I mean, I know that's very basic, but, but we need to hear that. We need to be reminded of that. Anything that worketh ill towards our neighbor is not love. God does not work ill towards you. We need to hear that. Some, some people need to religiously uh, hear that in the sense that, uh, I probably said that wrong, but we need to overcome any religious thinking that thinks that God works ill towards us. He does not. God does not do evil. God cannot and will not do work ill towards you. See, when God gave the law, man wasn't born again yet. He did not have, because he wasn't born again, man did not have the capacity to love. So God gave the law, forcing man to love his neighbor. But, I want to look beyond that. I want to Am I loving one another? Am I loving my neighbor as, my, as myself? God is love. I'm trying to be established in my Father's love, who is love. And as I see Him, I will be like Him. And if I'm not loving one another, the Scripture says, I don't know my Father. Because I'm born of God, and God is love. You know, growing up, I remember the, the WWJD wristbands. They came out in different forms and, and whatnot. But WWJD means, what would Jesus do? And they were a reminder for us to remind us, what would Jesus do in whatever situation we found ourselves in? How would Jesus respond? And I think we need the reminder at times, will what I'm going to do, or what I'm going to say, or what I'm not going to do, is it going to bring ill or harm to my neighbor? Will this hurt somebody? And I'm not talking about, see, I'm, let me say this differently, I'm talking about knowingly working ill towards your neighbor. You know, sometimes we do things we don't really like to hurt someone, we feel bad. I'm not talking about some of those times. Is that making sense? But I'm talking about when we maliciously, out of spite, work it ill toward our neighbor, toward our fellow man. I don't know about you, but I, in my lifetime, I've experienced some people who are very, very unloving. And some of those people, I'm not trying to attack anybody, but some of those people I found to be the most mean have been in the church. And as Andrew can say, either you can say amen or oh me. <laughs> I've seen some of the most unloving people, not in every church, not in every, but I've seen some of the most unloving people even in the church. 
even spirit-filled Christians. And it doesn't matter, with some people, it doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do, they think you're working ill in their lives, or ill in other people's lives. Some people you just can't please. You can't do anything right. You can't, you, you, you've always been on their bad side. That making sense? I'm not trying to make this negative, but I'm trying to bring out a few things, and we're going to look at a few things in just a moment. I didn't start with this in this whole series. I'm ending with this. <laughs> okay? But I also know in my life, I'm not trying to point the finger at others, but I know in my life, I know there's been times where I'm not walking in them. My attitude, my actions, my behavior. I know there are times I need to grow in my love towards one another. No, and how do we grow? We've been t talking about this during this whole, the last five weeks. Is that when we know and believe his love for us, our love is perfected. And sometimes we lash out and we treat others with ill because we are insecure in his love for us. If you really peel, pull back, peel back the onion and you really are honest with yourselves, usually we are insecure in our love, his love towards us, so we work it ill on one another. Because... If those who don't love one another don't know God, because God is love. Really what I'm trying to get at is we can't fix our relationship towards one another if we don't first fix our paradigm perception of our Father's love towards us. We can't fix A plus B equals C, and you can't fix the equation. You can't fix it. We can't change. We can't. We, even in our own willpower, we can't change until we first receive and know His love for us. So what is your paradigm of God? What is your paradigm of your Father? What would He look like? How would He act? How would He relate to you? How would He relate to me? How would He relate to your fellow man? Even not just your friends, not just the ones you like, but how would he relate to the ones who rub you wrong? How would he relate to the ones are you consider your enemies? How would God relate to those you figure they've done the they've done sin and they've done the most disgusting and most barbaric acts? How would God, how would Jesus treat them? Again, 1 John chapter 3, verses, verse 2. It says, When he, your father, is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. How you perceive God as his child is how you will become. What's your paradigm of God? Because whatever your paradigm or perception of God, how he treats people, is how you will treat people. That's what the scripture says. Am I making sense? In other words, don't be arrogant in thinking you're better than God. That you're going to treat, if your paradigm of God is not right, thinking you're going to treat people better than God. No, it just doesn't work that way. You can only love others as God loves others based on your perception of God. If that's your perception. If you think he, God is judgmental, if you think God is nitpicky, 
If you think God is a hard taskmaster, that's how you will treat others. Because you are a child of God. You are born of God. See, Satan wants to obscure the cross, the love of God. He wants to obscure the person of God. Since the garden, Satan has wanted to misconstrue, did God really say? Or, I can change it this way, is God really like this? See, through religion, Satan has misconstrued people's perception of God. And because of that, we have met some very religious, unloving people through the years. Am I making sense this morning? Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is what we call or have been known as the love chapter. Okay? Love is of God. And it says in 1 John 3, 8 and 1 John 3, 16 that God is love. If God is love, and we're going to read about what love is like, we're really going to be reading what God is like. That makes sense? If God is love, and we're going to be reading about what love is like, we're going to be reading what God is like. And when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. If this is not how we're acting, then we, in one sense, don't know God. That make sense? God is not going to require you to do something that he doesn't do himself. That making sense? Okay? I want to read the first three verses here now. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become the sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have, have all things so I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. I've known people like this. I've known myself like this at times. I believe in tongues. I believe in prophecies. I believe in faith that moves mountains. I believe in healing the sick. I believe in, 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 in giving to the poor and and, 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 and even martyrdom where, where, that, where, where that applies. But the greatest gift of all is love. If I do anything for God, I believe in ministry. I believe in all the things that we do in this church and other churches that they do. But if we don't have love, we have nothing. We are nothing. Is that making sense? I didn't say it. The Word of God said it. And we can... And, and, and we need love. I believe we need to operate in the gifts more. I believe in prophecy. I believe in everything we need to do for the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is here. But church, I want us to hear it once and for all. That we need to do it in love. And we can't do it in love if we don't know and believe his love for us. For therein is our love made perfect. Our, Jesus said, by this the world will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. Jesus prayed 
just before he went to the cross to his father, he said, Lord, I pray that they would be one as I am one, so the world would know that you sent me. Our greatest witness, our greatest evangelism to this world that is in chaos, that is in anarchy in so many different ways, is how we love one another. And we can't love one another if we don't have a right perception of how God loves us. Yes, most importantly, and anything you've heard in this series, I want you to be establishing God's love, your Father's love for you. You need that. That is the cornerstone of our relationship with God, is you knowing God's love for you. But the byproduct of that, the fruit of that, is that you will love one another. The goal in one sense is not loving one another. The goal is you being established in your Father's love. But the fruit of that, the byproduct of that, the evidence of that, the substance of that, is that you are loving one another. That makes sense? You can't have the cart before the horse. You can't love one another without being established in your father's love. But if you're not established in your father's love, you will not, you cannot love one another. That makes sense. The two messages go together. But you can't love one another until you know his love for yourself. And if you're not loving one another, then that is proof, that is evidence, biblically speaking, that you don't know his love for yourself. There's a disconnect. There's a deficiency. And I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to, to reprove you in a sense you need to know your Father's love. Because the byproduct of that is that you will love one another. So when I want to look at uh, this chapter here, first in the love chapter between verses 4 and 8, and there's 16 things. There's 16 attributes of love. Meaning there's 16 attributes of our Father's love. That making sense? Are you making that connection? So if this is what our Father is like, this is what we should be like. But before we focus on what we should be like, we need to see God this way. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me, for God is love. And if God is love, and we are of God, then we should be like this. But we're not the source. Love is of God. Love is not of me. Am I making sense this morning? Okay, let's go with these uh, 16 things. The first one is love suffers long. See, love looks for ways to be constructive. In other words, love is patient with me. See, people can people can be very nitpicky with each other. I've seen people quit in their relationships over the silliest, stupidest things. And sometimes even the most horrific things. But I've, I've seen people, mankind, quit on each other. I've seen people be nitpicky with each other. But God, love, is suffers long. Love, God is slow in losing his patience with us. God is long in patience. He puts up with me and all my flaws. 
Some people won't put up with anything. I'm not trying to pick up people. This is not work. That's not my heart. But what is wrong with me if I am not patient with you? Something's wrong. Because love, God is long-suffering. He is patient. He suffers long. And some people won't suffer anything. I know there have been times I won't, I've not been patient. I haven't suffered long. That's not God. That's not love. But God is that way. God has put up with a lot with me. God knows me more than any of you. And God has never given up on me. God has never given up on you. He has seen you on your worst. He knows you. He's more honest about knowing you than you are sometimes honest about knowing yourself. He knows me. He knows me at my worst. I can't, out, I can't fool him. He knows me. But God has never given up on me. Number two, love is kind. Why would I be less kind to my fellow man than God is of me? If I know God, and God is love, and love is kind, why would I be less kind to you than God, than God is of me? But I've met some people, Christians, who are very rude, they're very unkind, they're very mean. They don't know the kindness of God. Because otherwise they wouldn't be so rude and mean and unkind. But I know there have been times I've been unkind. I know there have been times I've been rude and I've been mean. Every, any, any finger I'm pointing to today, I'm pretty much sure that all of them I can point at myself. Okay? You know, anytime you point a finger, you got three pointing right, right back at you. You ever, you ever point a finger and got three pointing right back at you? You can't point a finger without a finger being pointed back at yourself. It just, it, it just can't happen. Number three. Love does not envy. See, love never boils up with jealousy. God's not jealous. Is our love of, is our love of, is, I'm trying to read my notes here. Is our love of our emotions or is our love of God see God is not intimidated he's not jealous of us it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 14 that we have been called to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord we are to, to glory in the cross we are we, who, who, who are in Christ why am I getting at this uh, I heard something this week. It might have been from Dwayne Sheriff. Someone was complaining about him in his early years that he's, by his relationship with God, he's taking the glory away from God. God, we're not in, we're not competing with God. We're not competing with His glory. We're supposed to obtain His glory. We are not robbing God of His glory. His glory is in us. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. God has showed us his glory. God has married us in Christ. His glory is in us. We are one with him and him in us. Let me just say it this way. God delights in you being blessed. Do you delight in your fellow man being blessed? You know, I'm not in, 
someone even, I forget who said this recently, um, about ministry, about our church. And like, I forget exactly who said it, but I, I think of the guy who cleaned up currently. But just uh, I can be wrong, I'm not trying to pick out, pick out anybody. But it's something like, who's our competition? And I go, we don't have any competition. We're not, we're not in competition with any other ministry. Anyone who thinks ministry, our church's competition, doesn't know ministry at all. We are all on the same team. We all, hopefully, have the same goal. To magnify God and the witness and be a ministry to you. Ministry, just by definition, is the being a servant. I can't be in competition to be a better servant than you. That's not that selfish. Which, that's another attribute we're going to get to. There's no competition. I do have a problem, though, with those, like James would say, they worship God with their lips, but they curse men with the same lips. I do have a problem who, who magnify God, but they, they rebuke or they, they trump on people. I, I'm saying, I can say it a lot, a lot of different ways. But I don't like ministries or ministers who praise God and curse and condemn men. I don't like that. I don't want anything to do with that. I love them. And I want to, there's been ministries I've supported in many different ways. But once they start putting down other people, I don't want anything to do with that ministry. We're not about putting down people. We're here to edify one another. We, our job as pastors is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to edify the body of Christ. And anytime we lose our job description, we don't have a ministry as far as I'm concerned. I don't, I don't want to get off on that too much. But love is, not, is we're not envious. When there's envy and strife, there is every evil work, James says. James uh, verse six, 3, chapter 3, verse 16. Love does not envy. But yet, how many marriages are envious and jealous? Because their love is not based on God. Their love is based on the flesh. God said, it's my Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. God's not jealous. He wants to bless our socks off. God has, it's his pleasure to give us the kingdom. If he did not suffer his own son, how much more will he not give us all things? God's not jealous of us. Yes, in one sense, God's not je- He doesn't want anything else to have our hearts. Not because he wants it for himself. He doesn't want anything, anything else to have our hearts because he wants to bless us. But if something else has our hearts, he knows we're not going to receive all that God has for us. And I mean, are you hearing what I'm saying? Sometimes when we think of God being jealous or when God's coming down on sin, God hates sin because he knows how it would destroy you. He loves you. That's why he became sin. So that sin is no longer a issue. Sin shall not have dominion over you. It wasn't about sin. It was about you. He loved you. So he became a curse so that you could be blessed. God's not envious. 
We should not be envious of others. I'm not envious of those who are not preaching the true gospel. I feel sorry for them. I feel sorry. My heart breaks for those who don't know the truth. My heart breaks for those who don't know what I'm trying to teach you. And they're not. I'm not mad at them. I'm, I'm mad that they don't have the revelation of the truth. There's a difference. Number four, love does not parade itself. You know, the King James says it this way. Love thought that it's not itself. I remember growing up. Reading that in the King James, love bonded not. And I was like, no wonder we are not walking in love. Because we have no idea what bonded not means. We can't walk in something when you don't even know what it means. I don't know. I still don't know what bonded not means. I'm not trying to be facetious. I just like, I, you know, sometimes we just we don't know how to do it because we don't even know what it means. Sometimes I don't even know what I know what it means. But bothered not the parade itself means not when it's not anxious to impress. God's not boastful. God's not anxious to impress us. He's not tooting his own horn. And then this will go with the next one, number five. Love's love is not puffed up. In other words, love is not arrogant. God's not arrogant. He's not conceited. See, there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. David, when he came on the scene in Goliath, his brother thought he was cocky. He wasn't cocky. He was confident. See, God is who he is. He's not arrogant. He is who he is. He's not pretending. He's not hypocritical. He's not putting on the act like some other people do. God is honest. He's truthful. He's real. He's authentic. Now, is that making sense? Yes, God is magnified and he is glorious. But he's not conceited with an arrogant attitude. He is who he is. And he's not ashamed. And I'm not ashamed of God. And I'm not ashamed to be like God. For when I see him as he really is. Love is not conceited. Love's not puffed up. Love doesn't parade itself. Love doesn't gloat in itself. In an arrogant, selfish manner. Is that making sense? But it doesn't mean God's ashamed for being who he is. He is who he is. And he will proclaim, he will reveal himself as he is in all of his glory and majesty and splendor. Love does not behave rudely, number six, uh, six I think it is. Love, God is not unseemingly. He's not unmannerly. See, a lot of people are, who are rude are rude because they're insecure. Love's not rude. Love's not doesn't behave itself rudely. I've met religious people who are very rude. It's wrong. It's not God. It's not of God. Number seven. 
Love does not seek its own. God is not selfish. Everything he's done, everything he's required of you, he's done it for your good, not just for him. God is not selfish. God does not insist on his own rights. I hear so many people, including Christians, who will say, I have a right to be treated better than this. I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. I have this right. I have this right. Church, beloved friends, we have laid down all our rights at the cross. We died at the cross. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to God. We're married to Christ. When you lay down your rights versus demanding your rights, you will begin to see the Spirit of God work in your heart and in your life. Accidentally, more accidentally than you ever did on purpose. And Andrew would say, when we lay down our rights, and we, I want to say this again, when we lay down our rights, demanding our rights, we will begin to see the Spirit of God, the nature of God, the love of God, reigning in our hearts and our lives. And when we allow the love of God, the nature of God, the person of God, the virtue of God coming from within versus something that we demand, we will begin to see people change and transform all around us. Love does not demand its own right. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-centered. Love is not a view. Love is of God. Am I making sense? This morning. My happiness is not based on how you treat me. It shouldn't be. I know I, I've failed in that area sometimes. I know some people have hurt me deeply. And it has and it, it has threatened my joy. But that should not be. My joy should come from the Lord. My joy should be the fruit of the Spirit. Some people have done some very horrific things to some of you. Some people have done some horrific things to us. But my, my the source of my joy and happiness is not based on how other people treat me. But my, the source of my love is how God loves me. And how God treats me. I was just saying this last night to uh, in our Bible study last night that we dance before the audience of one. Roger Williams told us that. Many times. Many times in some of the things that we've struggled with in the last couple of years. He reminded me that you dance before an audience of one. When I was listening to something from Lassen Purdue yesterday, it doesn't matter what people think. It matters what God thinks. God loves you. talking about and got off, off track but love doesn't seek its own see when God reproves when God corrects us it's not because he is mad at us he does it for our benefit not his benefit we need to understand that when, when God corrects us he's not doing it for his benefit he's doing it for ours 
because he knows the things that we're, the, the, the whatever we're doing or whatever we're thinking or what our perception is wrong, we're gonna <clears throat> we're gonna have the wrong fruit. We're not. It's gonna it's gonna hinder. He corrects us. He reproves us for our own benefit, just like a, a parent will correct a child or, or even a pet. We're doing it for his own benefit. <laughs> Uh, you show me a disciplined child. You show me a child who's been loved. You show me a child who doesn't have any disciplines and is out of control. Then, in, 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 that, in that sense, you show me a child who has not received love in those areas. Hopefully I'm making sense. I'm not trying to step on people's toes. But God has reproved me in areas to make me beautiful, make me more better, better in those areas. He's not doing it for his benefit. He's doing it for ours. God corrects us because he loves us. He disciplines us because he loves us. The Bible says in Proverbs, he who, the one who, we quote this so wrong. When we, when we spare the rod, Proverbs says we hate our child. We, in our religious world, in our political correct world, we don't understand that. But correction is good. Discipline is good when it's out of love. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about even punishment. I'm talking about discipline. A co good coach is going to be a good disciplinary to his team or to his athlete. You show, you, show me a, a, you show me a good athlete in the Olympics or any sport, they've had a good coach who's been hard on them at times. To, not for, not to be mean, but for them going good. That makes sense. God's our coach. He's our guide. He's our papa. But he's also not going to put up with certain things. For our own good. He's not going to let us keep going down the wrong road. For our own good. He's not going to keep thinking junk. For our own good. Not his good. What are we doing that's destroying ourselves? Even, even if we don't understand it, God knows and his love for us is unconditional. So he's going to discipline us when we need it. He's not self-seeking. He's thinking out for us. He loves you even when we're messing up our lives. That makes sense? Number eight. God, love is not provoked. God is not quick to take offense. God has no malice. God's not touchy. Some people are just very touchy. See, when I talked the last few weeks about how the law worked as wrath, and when our perception of God is, is wrong, we perceive that God is touchy. And because we perceive that God is touchy, we become touchy. God is put. God put up with sin for 1,800 years before he brought the law, which brings about wrath. It says, in, uh, I'm going to talk real quick to 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 9. But the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's not touchy. He is slow in his wrath. 
Because He loves us. God is kind. God is patient. God is slow to anger. God does not have malice. He brought the law to save the human race. I talked about that the last couple weeks. He brought the law out of His mercy. God withheld His wrath for over 1,800 years over man's sin. Jesus never exercised wrath in His ministry. But He promised that the wrath that is to come. See, we think it's God's nature to be easily provoked. God's not easily provoked. God is eternally mad at sin. Because God is eternally mad at in love with you. I want to say that again. God is eternally mad at sin because God is eternally and mad and madly in love with you. <clears throat> He's not touchy. He's not easily provoked. Number nine. <clears throat> Love thinks no evil. Love, love is not keeping score of all the wrongs you've done. Some marriages do that. Some relationships do that. They're keeping score of all the times they've done them wrong. Love is not like that. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs done. Love is not on an evil hunt. Love is on a good hunt. Lawson Purdue talks about, about how, you know, if you're trying to, find, trying to find everything wrong in this church, you're going to find it. But if you try to find everything good in this church, you're going to find that too. Some people, they're on a hunt to find out what's wrong with you. But they're not on a hunt to find out what's right with you. Love, love is thinks no evil. God doesn't look at my flesh, my outward appearance, my flaws. He sees Jesus in me. His life on the inside of me. See, some marriages, some relationships keep score and they collapse because they keep a record of wrongs done. See, God sees my potential even on my worst day. Even when I've done it all wrong. But the Word of God forbids us to, to think on evil. God doesn't think evil of us. Paul says, we are to think of what is good, what is lovely, what is a good report. Philippians chapter 4. If we think God is the way he commands us to be, it will foster intimacy with God. I, 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 I communicate that well. If we believe God is the way he commands us to be, not thinking evil, but thinking good, thinking lovely, it will foster our own intimacy with God. Some people, the way they treat me, I don't want to love them back. I don't want anything to do with them because they're not being loved. There's some churches I've been to. There's some, some Christians. I don't want to be anything like them. I want to love them as God tells me to love them, but I don't feel any love from them. I've met so many non-Christians who... They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with this church. And I'm not trying to make this negative this morning, which is totally the opposite of what my message is. But why are we not more like God? Because we don't know what he's like. We'll be like him when we see him as he is. God is love. Number 10. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. 
takes no pleasure in wrongdoing. God not, does not gloat over man's sin. Oh, I got them. You hear that sometimes? I hear that with some Christians. Oh, we got them. I'm not rejoicing in people doing wrong. My heart is broken that they're doing iniquity. My heart is broken for this world and the society that has gone just bonkers. They don't even know who they are or what they are. They're trying to change who they are. They're lost. My heart's broken for some of the, even some of the most wicked sins that we, we hear of. and we, My heart is broken that they don't know their Father's love. I'm not proud that they're that they've done all this stuff. My heart is broken for them. I want it to be broken for them. They need Jesus. They need life. They need His goodness, His mercy, His grace, His love. So they can, they'll stop doing all this junk. See, the second one goes with it. Verse number 11 is, love rejoices in the truth. Love doesn't just not rejoice in iniquity. Love rejoices in the truth. God, God joyfully sighs with the truth. There's a, there's a verse in 3 John, verse 4. I really love this verse. I want to talk about it real quick. John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I love hearing stories of those who are walking in truth. I don't like love hearing stories of all the wrong people I've done. You know, I hear I see stuff on Facebook all the time. And I know there's some wicked, wicked stuff out there. And I'm not saying to some degree some of the stuff we need to be made aware of that's going on in our in our country. But I want to hear, I, 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 don't, I don't gloat in that. I don't rejoice in that. I want to, but I love hearing stories of the truth. Does that make sense? God's like that. Here's number 12. Verse 7. Love bears all things. The Amplified says it this way. Bearing up under anything and everything that comes. Love bears all things. Proverbs 24, 16 says, A righteous man fell falls seven times, but he gets back up. A righteous man falls seven times. How do you know that, how many of you have fallen at times, spiritually even speaking? How many of you have messed up? How many of you have messed up more than once? How many of you just keep messing up? A righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. And why? how does he get back up? Because he grows in his father's love. See, love bears all things. There's something that people, I hear people making statements all the time, they can't bear this in your life. Well, love bears all things. God bears all things. God has bared with you. God has bared with me. On your worst day. When you wanted nothing to do with God, God bared with you. 
And yet there are some people who won't bear with anybody. They won't bear with their spouse. They won't bear with different things that have happened. They won't bear with different people in the church. See, number 13 is this. Love believes all things. See, love is ready to believe the best of every person. Love is ready to believe the potential in every person. See, it, love is able to see past the flesh, past the past, past the junk, past the failure, past the sin. We're looking for the good in people. We're not looking for the evil. We're not here to cope. We're not here to tolerate evil. We're not looking for it. But we believe in people. Because we believe in God. We believe that God so loved the world. That God loved them so much that he died for them. God thought they were worth dying for. If God thought they were worth dying for, then who are we to give up on them? That's arrogant. That's conceited. Thank you. Were you worth dying for? Were, were you worth giving up on? Some people even have a misconception on themselves because they don't know their father's love. Number 14. Love hopes all things. Which goes with number the 15. Love endures all things. I hear so many people sometimes say, I can't go on any longer. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because love endures all things. You can't overcome. Toggle with me real quick to, to Romans 5. Verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You can endure because hope does not disappoint because His love has been poured out in your hearts. In the 16th one, love never, never, no, never fails. God never fails. He is faithful. Go back with me to 1 John chapter 3. I know there's more I can say about each of those 16 points. I just want to give the gist of it. <coughs> Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Again, end of verse 2. When he is revealed, we shall be like him, but we shall see him as he is. I've been trying, I, I, I don't know how good I've done it in this series. But my heart is for you to know your Father's love and to see him as he is. I might not have done the best way of portraying that. But that's my heart for you as a pastor, as a brother in Christ, is that you would know your Father's love. You would see God as He is. God 
is who I am. Because once you see God as He is, not only will you benefit in your own life in so many different ways, but as we also in 1 John 4, 7 through 8, he loves us, love one another, for the love is of God, and everyone who knows is born of God and knows God. But he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You cannot and you will not love your neighbor as yourself if you don't know his love for you. And scrolling down to verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected, or herein is love made perfected, the King James says, upon us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has been made perfect in love. We love him, because he first loved us. Love is of God. God is love. When we understand His love for us, it will foster intimacy with Him. And it will foster intimacy with one another as the body of Christ. If we will all get real and intimate with knowing His love, Walking in Go back to verse 16 real quick. Then, then the last part of verse 16. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. If that's what's where you will put your focus, if you will put your focus on beholding what manner of love he has for you, and become intimate with him, walking and dwelling with God, it will change your life. It will change your relationship with God. It will change how you see yourself. If you have any insecurity, it will deal with all that. If you have any depression, it will deal with all that. If you have any isolation, it will deal with all that. And if you have any issues with any other relationships, it will deal with all that. Relationships, you know, we talk about healing a lot. We talk about finances a lot. But relationships are another big one. The hard part is that it involves another party or other parties. But we can affect how we are going to treat one another. And we can only do that if we are connected to the source, dwelling with God who is love and knowing his love for us. I already went to Romans 5, 5, talks about, and hope does not disappoint because his love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But go with me real quick as we kind of wrap this up. Here pretty soon. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to, I'm going to jump in verse 15. In context here, Paul is talking about God has given us pastors, teachers, the fivefold ministries for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the, the full stature of Christ. We want to be children taught to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And he picks up from verse 15 here. By speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him 
who was the head of Christ. We talked about this in our last series, talking about maturity. And from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, and causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Church, we are to edify ourselves in love. We are to be edifying one another in love. That is the mission. That is the purpose of the church. And to edify ourselves in love. But in this context, scroll with me down to verse 25. Verse 25 says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Verse 28, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Okay? So I hear a lot of law here that we read earlier in our study and from uh, Romans chapter 13. That no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. There's a lot in this context. I'm not going to uh, deal with everything. But in context, Paul's talking about how he has given us a fivefold ministry so we can equip one another. We can edify one another. So that we can edify ourselves enough. But we should not give place to the devil. And how we, and by grieving the Holy Spirit, God's love has been shed on our heart by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will shed abroad His love in our heart. But we can grieve the Holy Spirit by how we treat one another. When we treat one another with all malice and bitterness and wrath and anger and glamour. When we don't forgive one another. When we treat one another horribly. Verse 31, when we, we, we grieve the Holy Spirit. That is not God. That is not love. We, when we treat one another, that is... <coughs> we grieve the Spirit of God. Because His love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is not the love that God has shed abroad in our hearts. Am I making sense? This is strong language here. And yet, and again, I don't want to make this negative... I see a lot of it in, going on in the church. I see the church be rude and mean and evil towards one another. And they call it God. That's wrong. They're grieving the Spirit of God. Love endures. Love will make things right. Love will wash one another's feet. Love will get to the truth of the matter. Love won't give up on people. Love won't act like this. God doesn't act like this. And anyone who's acting like this does not know God. It's impossible. Because you're telling me God acts like this. When has God acted like this? No. Verse 3, Jesus says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That's God. That's the church. And the family of God is supposed to be knit together, not divorced from each other. That making sense?
love is of God. Love is not of me. When you know who and what God is like, faith is a byproduct. And faith works by love. Galatians 5 6. See, it's easier to trust God, it's easier to believe God when you discern with He what He's really like. He's love. When you know what He's like, when you know who He's like, you will become like Him, for you'll see Him as He is. I want to conclude this whole series with going to Luke 15. Pick it up in verse 1. And then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, Jesus, to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he spoke this parable to them. He talks about the lost sheep and he talks about the lost coin. Scroll down with me to verse 11. You see the context? The context is Jesus was supping, fellowshipping with sinners. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, didn't like that. And so Jesus gives these, these, these three parables here. The third parable here is the parable of the lost son, or the prodigal son. <clears throat> and then he, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all there, arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, but the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked, 
what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, and I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you have never given me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of, the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fat calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should be made merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. There is so much here. We've been talking about being established in our Father's love, and we have the story of the Father in this one picture. Jesus is the expressed image of the Father. Several scriptures right now, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, there's several verses in Colossians and whatnot. Jesus' expression of the Father. Jesus was derided by the religious leaders because he was hanging out with the prodigals. When the prodigal came home, he thought he was unworthy to be called his son because of what he had done wrong. The older brother thought he was worthy to be called his son because of everything he had done right. And the thing that he hadn't done wrong. And both were wrong. They were both worthy to be called sons. Because behold, what man is the love the Father hath in us, that we should be called the children of God. We are the children of God not based on what we've done. Or haven't done. We are the children of God based on what He has done to us. And when we see Him, we will be like Him when we see Him as He is. And when we believe and know His love for us, our love will be perfected towards one another. The, the older son, son, his love was not perfected towards his brother because he did not even know his own father's love. He didn't even know everything he had was his. He thought he had to earn it, he thought he had to be good. And he never, he never had a party because he never asked for one. He never received it. He could have had one all these years. He could have, he could have just been a party animal, but he wasn't because he didn't know his father's love. And how? Because he didn't know his father's love, he didn't know how to love his brother. You see how everything, everything to write, even every, this whole story, backwards and forwards, upside down, comes from knowing the father's love. The, the, I made a statement early on in this message that love is not based on the, the object being loved, but it's not based on the character of the one loving. God loves you no matter what you've done, no matter who you become, what you haven't done. He has loved you, he's always loved you, and he will do nothing but love you. And we, see, we give up on ourselves, like the prodigal. We give up on our brother, like the prodigal's brother, because we don't know our father's love. And I've seen that in the church. I've seen that in uh, people's lives. And there are times I don't like how I treat others. It's wrong. We need to know our father's love. We need to be established in our father's love. So that not only are we established in our father's love, but one of the byproducts of that is we can be the church who are edifying one another. Not grieving the Spirit of God, 
but we are edifying, we are building up one another. Church, we should be enduring with one another. We should be patient with one another. We should be long-suffering with one another. We should be loving. We should be looking for good. So many attributes that I read this morning, 16 attributes of the nature of God that should be our nature because of Christ in us. This whole message has not just been about us loving one another. I reserve most of that teaching for this last session. But it is a byproduct. I can't separate the two. I can't, I can't divorce from it. I can't apologize for it. But in our world, our world is getting darker and darker and darker. Light shines in darkness. And we, the church of the living God, need to learn to love one another. And we're only going to learn that one way. By knowing and believing his love for us. Because as we see him, we will be like him. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And the world will know that we're his disciples, how we love one another. And how we got to love one another. Not unless we are born of God and know God for ourselves. We need to be established in our Father's love. And when I see this type of attitude of the prodigal, brother, and I've seen a lot of it in the church. I've seen a lot of Ishmael's. There's two sons. Paul said something in Galatians 4.29 that, that uh, I want to quote that real quick. I don't want to misquote it. I read this several years ago and it just caught my attention. And I said, Lord, I don't want to be like that. But there's two kinds of sons. There's a prodigal son and there's a, there's a prodigal brother. He says this in Galatians 4.29. In, in the context, uh, Paul's comparing Isaac with Ishmael. But as he who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, Isaac, even so it is now. That type of persecution is going on in the church, even so now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brother, we are not children of the bondwoman. That we are children of the free. We are children of God, but we are children of the free. And we are we don't have to love one another. We have been made free to love one another. That makes sense? If you are not loving one another, you are in bondage. You are your mom, your mother is a bondwoman. But if you can be free to love one another, then you are the son of the free woman. That makes sense? <coughs> if we don't not love one another, see, love, love will cast out fear. And we are not love, we have not been made perfect in fear. Made perfect in love. That makes sense? I want to be free to love one another. No matter what people have done, that doesn't mean I'm condoning their sins. Jesus was not condoning the sins of the sinners and the publicans and sinners. He received them, not their sin. He told the woman called adultery, go and sin no more. We dealt with this last week. He doesn't condone sin, but he received her. And nobody, nobody has any right to reject any of God's children. Let me read another one, Galatians chapter 6. I try to close this up. Galatians 6. I believe it's verse 1. But in the... 
understand. Then where we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And that translation says, for the family of God. We have no right to reject our brother. I don't care what they've done. The prodigal was, he done worse than that in most people's eyes. But we have no right. We have no authority. We have no blessing from God to reject one another. That grieves the Spirit of God. And those who treat one another that way do not know God. I don't want to be like that. I want to know God. And I want to love one another. I want to forgive one another. I want to make things right with one another. Even if they've done me wrong, even if they've done me worse than wrong. We've gone through some things the last couple of years that were worse than bad. We even made a sign in our living room that says, Mercy will reign in this house. No matter what they've done to us, it's been had It's been most of the worst things anyone's ever done to us. I'm not trying to, 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 get, uh, to prolong all of that, but it's affected us. It's hurt us deeply. But we have decided by because we know we have known His love for us, that mercy will reign in our hearts. We choose to let mercy reign. His mercies are fresh and they are new every morning. If that's how God treats me, then I have no right to treat my fellow man, no matter what they've done, any different than that. Amen? And I can't do that. I won't do that if I don't know his love for me. And those who don't do that don't know God. Because God is love and love is of God. That's how we know. That's how we know. That's how we know if we are walking in love. Because if we walk in love, according to Paul, we have fulfilled all of the law. See, the law brings wrath. And some of us have brought nothing but wrath on one another. For God has brought grace. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Lord, I worship, we worship you. We magnify you. Lord, I just pray that we, more than anything else, we would know your love for us. Because everything else comes from that. Everything flows supernaturally, automatically from that, that seed. We need to know your love for us. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, if there's areas where we need to make things right with our fellow man, if we need to reconcile, you've given us the ministry of reconciliation. I pray that any one of us who are listening would know your love and we would go and make things right with our brother and with our sister. We would do the right thing because your love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We worship you. We magnify you. In Jesus' name we give you thanks. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a good week. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock. <coughs> All right. God bless.